You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. All right, my friends, we are continuing at Resurrection Life uh, to focus on the Great Commission work of parenting. And I'm wanting at this point in our studies to look further at those opportunities we have to disciple our young people in the area of their sexuality. Uh, Particularly today, I want to speak about guiding our children through a season of sexual temptation. So last time I was focused on how to talk about sex itself with our children, Uh, and today I want to speak about sexual purity uh, in our children. And I am focusing in particular, my friends, on sexual purity in our sons. I want to consider in this podcast what our sons are particularly in need of in our parenting. And then next time, I'll be speaking to an issue that is of particular relevance in the parenting of our daughters. So for today, I want to talk about a very guy problem, uh, if you will, of lust. And then I want to speak about a father-son fight with lust. And then if you are still with me, I am going to take up a couple of Uh, delicate subjects that come up in this whole realm uh, of sexuality and the needs of our sons. So let's start with a very guy problem uh, of lust. So last time as I talked about little boys, uh, I spoke of their developing a curiosity about little girls as they mature, and those are the uh, beginning signs of sexual awareness. Well, Folks, eventually, as you all know, that curiosity becomes a besetting temptation for every young man, Uh, and it's the temptation uh, that we call lust, Uh, the sin of lust to which uh, every man uh, comes to be tempted with. Uh, And I want to talk about what lust is and why it's uniquely a problem for your sons. Because parents, if these are not things clear in your mind, they certainly won't be clear uh, for your sons. So what are we talking about when we talk about lust, as someone has called it, every man's battle? Well, Jesus gives us the defining word, I would submit to you. In Matthew 5, verse 27 and 28, he says to his disciples, "'You have heard that it was said, "'You shall not commit adultery.'" But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or some translations have it, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, folks, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. Jesus is in that section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, really unpacking the true depth and scope of God's Law And he has the seventh commandment, obviously in mind, the one that says, you shall not commit adultery. And he's aware that that commandment could be interpreted merely as forbidding certain sexual acts uh, outside or apart from marriage. Uh, But Jesus makes clear he regards the seventh commandment as actually forbidding even inward sexual thoughts or feelings uh, that come long before the outward act and may come without ever being realized in the outward sexual act. So the word Jesus uses in our text uh, that we have come to uh, translate and think of in terms of the word lust is actually in the Greek just the word for desire. So actually, quite literally, Jesus' words could be anyone who looks at a woman with desire has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, it should be obvious that Jesus is talking about a specific kind of desire here. Uh, He's talking about sexual desire, and though it might sound like it, we know from the rest of Scripture, Jesus is not, in fact, criminalizing any and all sexual desire or sexual appetite. There is a context in which, quite uh, specifically, looking on a woman with desire is actually wonderful. Uh, and it's the covenant of marriage. I'll just 
uh, cite Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. Uh, I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. So just remember that Jesus is opening up the seventh commandment. And the seventh commandment is God's great uh, word of protection uh, of marriage, his ordinance of marriage. And so uh, it's clear that Jesus has in mind looking at a woman who's not your wife uh, with desire. So still, friends, uh, Jesus is saying something. That's very challenging for any red-blooded man or young man to accept. It's something radically counter-cultural. Sexual desire directed towards anyone but the one God has provided as your spouse is sinful. Um, This pursuit of sexual gratification apart from God's provision of marriage that can happen as subtly as in a look, a thought, or a feeling. Jesus is calling a kind of adultery. It's adultery between your ears. It's adultery in your eyes. It's adultery in the heart. And it's still adultery. So, friends, uh, reviewing this, uh, this is what you and your sons in particular need to recognize about our Lord's teaching, about the biblical standard uh, for sexual purity. Our culture might see that, as a rule, men can look as long as they don't touch. But that's not the standard of Scripture. And every honest man knows exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about looking at a woman with desire. It's that urge, even briefly, uh, to check out a woman who's walking by, to, to size her up in terms of her sexuality. It's uh, perhaps that lingering look at a woman who may well be putting her physical endowments on display. Uh, sometimes what Jesus is talking about manifests, all men know, uh, with sexual thoughts, even sexual fantasies that go along with what is being seen. And of course, there is a whole world of printed and online content these days uh, that's devoted to helping men uh, look on a woman with desire. So, friends, this is the very guy problem of lust. It's what our sons are all growing into in that second decade. Why is it uniquely a problem for sons? Uh, Jesus does speak of looking at a woman lustfully. It's obvious he has men, our sons, particularly in mind. And that's due to a simple fact of life. Uh, Men far more than women find themselves sexually stimulated by sight. They're more visually oriented in their sexuality than women are. And that means that there is something inescapably sexually provocative about the female form to men. Now, uh, to the extent that a woman finds a man's body sexually desirable apart from marriage, uh, she too is quite capable of the sin of lust. Uh, no question about that. But because of the way uh, we are made as men, uh, this is uniquely our problem, and it's the problem of our sons who are men uh, in the making. Uh, dads, this should be something clear to your sons. God has created them and the whole of the male gender with an incurable fascination with the female body. And uh, this is, it's a mystery, and it's wonderful. It's both strange and wonderful that's a very powerful reality. In the context of marriage, uh, it will furnish a godly couple with a continually renewed delight, this fascination that men have with the female form. But outside of marriage, well, uh, this hunger for sexual gratification that can come in just the desire to look, well, Uh, There's a whole engine of sin in our society devoted 
uh, to providing men with that sinful outlet. So dads, you need to step up here in the discipleship of your sons. This is your son's emerging problem. It's been your problem for a long time. It's your son's emerging problem, and you need to equip your sons for the fight that you have been waging as a godly Christian man for a long time. So, having talked about the very guy problem of lust, let's talk now about a father-son fight with lust. And when I speak that way of a father-son fight with lust, I'm trying to cast a vision here for fathers who come alongside their sons in this emerging area of temptation. Uh, Fathers who talk with their sons about the issues involved, who share with them what they have learned in their own fight against sexual uh, impurity, who hold their sons accountable for their own fight against temptation, and who support them. Uh, at every step of the way. Dads, uh, this is about as crying a need in the area of discipleship of your adolescent son as there is. Uh, So let's talk about how you can lead them and guide them. Number one, dads, coach your sons in the first element of the fight against lust, which is flight. Now that may sound counterintuitive in the context of all this language of fighting that I'm using to talk about fleeing, but Guys, that's where biblical instruction about sexual temptation begins. I'll just cite 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a person, or sorry, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul says flee. Uh, What he means, of course, is getting yourself away from the source of temptation and doing so out of a healthy fear of your own susceptibility to that temptation. You'll know, of course, the classic biblical example of a man fleeing sexual temptation. It's Joseph and his time in Potiphar's household under the temptation eventually that comes from Potiphar's Wife, You can look it up again in Genesis 39. I was just reading this account recently. I found myself marveling at Joseph's resistance. Mrs. Potiphar goes far beyond propositioning him. Uh, She resorts to seducing him day after day. And I know enough about the power of sexual temptation to be amazed, going back and reading that story, that she didn't get what she was seeking. I'm amazed at that. And the Bible, who holds, which holds Joseph up as such an example in so many ways, uh, puts on, on full display what uh, was his survival uh, technique. He beat it out of there. He ran. He fled temptation. I have shared with my sons, Uh, Folks, the reality that sometimes temptation, and particularly sexual temptation, can come suddenly, as it were, out of nowhere uh, with the strength of a riptide. You know the advice given to swimmers who are caught in a riptide. It's again and again put there at the beach as you go, "Don't, don't try to swim against the current. You're not strong enough to do that. So get out of the riptide itself. Swim, uh, we're told, parallel with the shore. Well, um, your sons need to know that there are temptations that can come upon us in the right circumstances, in the right moment, and they are not temptations uh, to which we should simply stand and fight. Uh, We have to be ready to flee. To quote uh, the great theologian Clint Eastwood, uh, a man's got to know his limitations. And uh, that's part of your coaching of your sons. Uh, What does it look like for uh, sons, young men, uh, to be ready to fight lust by means of flight? Well, it looks practically in an ongoing way like they're recognizing and avoiding situations where they are needlessly exposed to sexual temptation. This is a spiritual discipline that, dads, you are uh, called to lead your sons in developing. Uh, When I speak of needlessly exposed 
to sexual temptation, I am aware that we can't, in the pursuit of holiness more broadly, uh, and in this way in particular, uh, just leave this unholy world. Our sons will, of fact, in fact, of necessity, uh, have to be around sexually provocative people, sexually tempting situations. Not everyone at the office will be dressed appropriately. I get it. But uh, they're to have this uh, outlook on how to fight the sin of lust that they'll uh, seek to avoid all needless exposure to sexual temptation. So, for example, dads, talk to your sons about fleeing the temptation of certain kinds of entertainment. Huge uh, portal into their lives for sexual temptation is entertainment and Uh, Long before they are even uh, sexually aware, sexually initiated, uh, make clear to them that there are things that this family is not going to watch on TV or that we are going to have filtered out of what we watch on TV through something like VidAngel or what have you because it's simply unprofitable. Dads, talk to your sons about fleeing the temptation of certain social settings. Talk to them honestly about whether it's Uh, spiritually profitable for them to go to that pool party uh, or to that beach trip. Uh, Talk to them about what they're encountering at the public gym uh, and make clear to them these are uh, potentially at least places of temptation that they may need to ask the question of themselves, should I just avoid them altogether? Uh, There are certain people uh, that may well emerge in your son's life. That fellow... Um, worker, uh, where they have their summer job, or what have you, uh, that you need to have a kind of Proverbs 7 conversation uh, with your son about how that person uh, could be a source of sexual temptation. Dads, talk to your sons about the simple but vital discipline of having self-control over their eyes Remember that element of Job's testimony? I have made a covenant with my eyes. He goes on to say, how then could I gaze at a virgin? And we guys know what Job is talking about here. He's exercising discipline right down to the detail of where his eyes go when he meets that attractive young woman. He's got a kind of covenant. He's got a kind of agreement with his eyeballs. I've encouraged my sons uh, when in the presence, perhaps, of a very immodestly dressed woman. Uh, Sons, keep your eyes on her eyes. You're going to engage her, you're going to talk with her, and so on. In so many cases, you you should, you must, but keep your eyes uh, on her eyes. Resist the urge to first available moment. Drop your eyes and check her out. Uh, By the way, a young man who has discipline over his eyes can be a real standout in our culture, Um, even with uh, women who are all too um, accustomed to being checked out by men and objectified, as it's now called, uh, by that. Dads, in all this coaching of your sons uh, in this area of fleeing uh, temptation, Uh, make sure that they are aware of the responsibility to do this out of a humble uh, mindfulness of their own vulnerability to temptation and sin. Don't let them uh, develop certain standards or certain um, protocols for themselves out of a kind of self-righteous pride. It's not that they're making unnecessary moral judgment about every situation that they're now uh, prudentially Uh, determining to avoid, uh, they're rather aware, as they keep their own hearts, that they're weak. And uh, these are circumstances that they're just not what they need uh, at any given time. Lust in the life of a man is a factor in part of unnecessary exposure to what is inherently tempting. Uh, Sin is going to take advantage of natural sexual appetite under any circumstances, to be sure. But a man who exposes himself to sexually provocative things is going to deal with more sin and temptation. So this first point is all about cultivating in your sons 
both a, ne- a sense of the necessity and the nobility of avoiding, avoiding bad situations uh, for sexual temptation. First rule of fighting is flee. Second, uh, in this father-son fight that you are seeking to uh, assist your son and provide for your son boundaries and accountability regarding sexually explicit material. So I've led off with the kind of talking and teaching that you need to do with your man in the making, but now I'm, I'm going to move to some prudential measures that, dads, you need to put in place in your home, in the life of your son, you know, if you have a son. Uh, I'm talking now about parental oversight and controls on the life of your adolescent. Now, the behemoth uh, source of sexually provocative or explicit materials is, of course, now the internet. And parents, you need to have some guiding convictions as you introduce your kids to this world. What I'm about to say applies to both sons and daughters, uh, but for the reasons I've already mentioned, I'm, I'm going to be particularly mindful of sons. And parents, can I, would you allow me to speak plainly uh, just here? Parents, if you think it's a good idea, or for that matter, simply an inevitable and unavoidable reality that your 12 or 14 or 16-year-old child will have unfiltered, unregulated access to the world wide web on his personal device. You need to have your head examined. If you think that's a good idea, or if you think that's just inevitable and there's nothing you can do about it, you need a reality check. What are you thinking? I ask you, would you let your son or daughter become intimate friends with God-hating neighbors there down the street? Um, You wouldn't, everything in your instincts would suggest, that's a bad idea. But you'd let them do so virtually through their online devices? Would you allow your son or your daughter, for that matter, to be picked up at the end of the sidewalk or driveway? by total strangers and taken someplace you do not know where, only to return some later time, you wouldn't, of course. Why would you do that virtually? Would you allow them, your sons or daughters, to listen in, to look on to anything and everything that the most debauched members of our society do in the privacy of their own homes or the like? Of course you wouldn't. Why would you let them do so virtually? I hope that the point I'm making here is already obvious to you, but I have some sense that there are otherwise good Christian parents who need a reality check when it comes to the internet and their kids, as if the internet was not the most prominent way in which the world that we are called to hate Uh, and separate ourselves from, uh, makes its inroads into the lives of our kids. Now, having stated myself strongly, I will say that I do recognize uh, that parents, particularly parents of my age, uh, could be simply uh, naive in certain ways. The uh, internet, just to date myself, wasn't invented when I was a kid. And uh, to the extent that that's true of many parents... Uh, I think sheer ignorance can enter into a delinquency in this part. The internet became a thing when, well, they weren't looking. But folks, surely that's not an excuse for most people listening to this podcast. You know, most of you, practically all of you, you know by now what the internet is capable of, both for good and for desperately, debauchedly evil as well. So let me do this. Uh, Let me reassure you with all the moral authority that I can muster. It is not a good idea to give your kids, especially your sons, unfiltered, unregulated access to the internet. It's not a good idea. 
So I'm not going to legislate, of course, on the question of when you give a teenager their first phone or, for that matter, their first personal computer. There's not one right answer to this. Uh, With regard to the phone, the trice has landed with some sense of the convenience of it. On the driving age, we said, yeah, when you are driving, you got your own, your license, uh, we're willing for you to have a phone. Uh, We might want to get in touch with you or vice versa. And so that's when we embarked on the personal cell phone um, season of parenting. Uh, But folks, whatever timetable you judge to be best uh, for your uh, sons and daughters, Uh, having their own personal connection to the internet, make sure that they know from the very beginning, mom and dad have a right to know where I go and who I talk to on these devices. Make sure they know, uh, son, we're going to ask you as part of our ongoing parenting what you're doing online. More than that, we're going to be putting some filtering and accountability mechanisms in place to be helps to you and helps to our conversations with you about your activity online. We're going to expect from you openness and honesty about what you're doing as you make use of the internet. And we reserve the right to do spot checks. We reserve the right to review your communication and your surfing habits on your phone, on your computer. Now, You're conveying that uh, conviction and expectation to your kids from very, very young, uh, even anticipation of the time when this will become immediately relevant to them. That's all uh, well and good. I realize that executing and all this, well, uh, it is actually easier said than done. Guys, I know uh, life gets in the way of uh, this kind of supervision and accountability that parents rightly need to give uh, to their kids. But here's, here's the two, in my view, the two fundamental non-negotiable elements of these boundaries and this accountability that I'm talking about. Number one, you need to have some kind of internet filtering and supervising software uh, for your kids. And number two, you need to have that regular, meaningful conversation about what they're encountering online. It has to be both of these two things uh, I would submit to you. So the internet, uh, a great challenge to our aims as parents, but along with all the uh, invention uh, that is electronic and the like, uh, there are aids that are electronic Uh, in assisting parents. And increasingly, this has become something that uh, even the larger uh, society recognizes parents rightly want. So I I put into two categories uh, the electronic aids that are at the disposal of parents these days. There's there's device-specific controls. Uh, So if you have an Android phone, you have something called Family Link, Uh, That as you give your son his first cell phone, you can have it already set up uh, to be uh, controlled by you uh, in a whole host of ways. Um, Apple phones have the same kind of thing. And I won't get in the debate between Android and Apple, but some people say it's even better on Apple or iPhones. Uh, Our goal, as we gave cell phones to our sons in particular, was to make their smartphones via Family Link as dumb as possible. Uh, Note, so that there was no ability to just surf the web, for example. Uh, There was an ability to use certain apps. Um, There was, uh, through that control mechanism, uh, all kinds of other things, like the ability to monitor how much time is being spent and where uh, a son has gone on his phone. So... A a device-specific parental control, that's one level or one layer of these boundaries and accountability. But then there is that second layer, which is uh, the software that you can purchase. And there are several now vendors 
uh, who provide uh, what is typically called accountability and or filtering software for uh, computers and phones. So we have used Covenant Eyes, um, like the reference there, somebody, <laughs> uh, back whenever Covenant Eyes came to existence to the book of Job. Uh, there are other uh, such software. And this is a mechanism uh, by which dad, in my family, uh, gets a regular report uh, for each one of his sons uh, that uh, seeks to uh, alert dad if there's any kind of suspicious activity uh, in their online uh, online activity. Uh, Covenant Eyes is very good about emphasizing, yes, uh, we make uh, ways to report on your children's behavior, and we even have uh, certain mechanisms for uh, filtering out uh, things. Um, those are both very valuable. But Covenant Eyes, I've found over the years, uh, really has a strong emphasis on conversations uh, that fathers and sons or parents and their children uh, should be regularly having about their internet use. And Covenant Eyes says, this is a report we're giving you that uh, should be used as a conversation starter, uh, as it were. And that's what I want to say of... um, uh, in the in the second place, talking about boundaries and accountability, uh, there are electronic resources. I've just talked about two of them, two different layers. But the second thing that I want to say with great emphasis, parents, dads, uh, is that you can't solve the internet problem uh, electronically. Uh, there's a thousand ways for your son or your daughter, for that matter, to get around parental controls and accountability software, and what this means is that you are going to need to make this uh, a prominent feature of your shepherding of their hearts uh, in the second decade. You need to be discipling them about how and when to flee temptation. You need to be holding them accountable. Uh, You need to be having the regular conversation. Son, how's it going? Um, Been looking at anything of late uh, that has been unprofitable? Uh, asking that conversation, and your son knowing uh, that you are uh, going to be returning to that subject sooner or later, better sooner than later, uh, and that is going to have its influence in his ongoing daily uh, life. I, I'll just say here, I'm, I have been thankful to the Lord uh, to see in my sons um, a desire uh, for uh, accountability and even as they have uh, moved into the um, third decade, even as they have gone off to college uh, and moved from the second to the third decade, uh, what that has meant, their desire for accountability and, and oversight, is that we have this partnership, and we're both seeking the same thing. And as needed in the course of college, uh, dials are adjusted and so on, and these mechanisms that we can put in place, but the most important thing uh, is the ongoing conversations um, that form the accountability. There are far more than sexual temptations on the internet. (laughs) Uh, That's, uh, putting it mildly, Uh, kids are seduced uh, by many things beyond uh, the sexual, false religion, ideology, agendas left and right, and folks I'm passing over all those other threats uh, for our purposes in this podcast, but they are all the more reason uh, to make clear to your sons and your daughters from the get-go, freedom to roam the internet is not a fundamental human right. It certainly isn't a right in your responsible Christian home. So make that clear early on. Make it a matter that uh, sons take for granted. They will be held accountable to you. Uh, as they venture in um, in in uh, good time into the wide wicked world uh, of the internet, your hand's going to be on their shoulder, uh, your eyes going to be looking as much as you're able over their shoulder, and all of that for good. And so I have said in this father son fight against lust, the first element is the ability wisely to flee, to know when to fold them, if you will. Uh, and then the second is to provide for your son boundaries uh, and accountability regarding 
uh, sexually explicit material. And then the third thing that I want to emphasize about this fight you're leading your sons in, dads, is instill in your son the priority of abiding in Christ in order to resist temptation. So sexual temptation is going to be an increasingly powerful tractor beam on the heart of your young man. And it needs to be crystal clear to you and to him that a mere strength of personal resolve, a mere strength of your personal relationship with your son, the savviness of the mechanisms of oversight and accountability that you devise, none of that is going to be enough. My fellow fathers, especially, uh, you need to have a thoroughly spiritual awareness of the nature of this fight. Um, His success, your son's success, uh, is going to be due to his ongoing fellowship with Christ and his use of the means that bring him closer to Christ. John 15 uh, provides the not-so-secret weapon uh, in our fight against all sin. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Certainly as a parent, even more so as a pastor, I've had countless conversations about this reality. It is not enough simply to turn off some valve in your life that is allowing sexual temptation into your heart. We have to be growing in our love for Christ. And what is it? The flip side of love for Christ, which is a hatred for sin. So make it clear, dads, that your son's disciplined internet use has everything to do with his devotional life. Abiding in Christ through the means of grace, that's the fundamental way to fight the sin of lust. Now, I'm not suggesting that having a rich devotional time uh, in the morning uh, is going to make us immune as men uh, to the clickbait of the afternoon. But I am saying that over the long haul, the devotional life uh, is the center of the great defense against well, clickbait, for that matter. Uh, and it's because uh, by abiding in Christ, we come to love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. And ultimately, it is breaking the grip of our appetite for sin uh, that closeness to Christ brings. I am making this point that you might think is too obvious to be made because I think it can be easy for fathers perhaps especially, to lose sight of this and to think that the uh, fight is just going to involve some kind of set of controls and taking things away and bringing um, certain uh, restrictions into play. That's not the ultimate solution. It's certainly not the long-term solution. Uh, Dads, if your son is struggling with sexual purity, you're there seeking to help him with it. Make clear that he knows it's a spiritual issue with spiritual solutions fundamentally. So um, if the battle gets particularly intense, Dad, consider setting aside time uh, to pray with your son about it, perhaps even to fast with your son uh, for victory. Embark on certain selected scripture studies with your son. Consider that. Uh, maybe even memorizing scripture with him. Uh, Take up a good book. There are so many on this whole subject. Read it together. Pray over what you read. Make clear to your son that this is a battle that I'm seeking to wage with you with spiritual weapons and seek to prepare your son for what really is going to be a whole lifetime of fighting the sin of lust. You're not just trying to get him through a really uh, critical stage in life, although you are seeking to do that. You are seeking to... Uh, set him on a trajectory of a lifelong fight against a certain kind of sin. So instill in your son the priority of abiding in Christ in order to resist temptation. 
This is the not-so-secret weapon uh, that you're to make use of. This is a thoroughly evangelical, we might say, approach to fighting sin. It's a distinctly Christian approach uh, to overcoming uh, vice in our lives. It's pursuing the one uh, that breaks the grip of sin in our hearts. Well, friends, um, I could almost be content to leave this whole subject of purity in sons uh, with just these things, talking about identifying the problem of lust and then casting a vision, best I can in this podcast, for a father-son fight for purity. But I think I should take up a couple more uh, very practical subjects that arise uh, in parenting sons. I need, I think, to just say a couple things about uh, the subject of masturbation uh, and then a couple more things about the subject of pornography. So uh, if you are uh, still inclined to listen on, that's what I want to take up uh, in the time that remains in this podcast. I want to think with you about parenting sons through their experience of and potential exposure to uh, these two realities. So let's take up first the masturbation question. Now, I call it a question uh, just because there is some uncertainty in the Christian community about what exactly we should think of masturbation in light of the silence of the Scripture on the subject. Uh, to my knowledge, it's never addressed explicitly in the Bible. The Bible's silent on this subject. And so uh, because of that, I've heard Christian opinions that very widely on the subject. Some uh, see it as inherently and always deeply immoral, a form of sexual impurity. Uh, others on the other end of the spectrum uh, almost seem to be inclined to think it's relatively innocent and, and even inevitable, not something that young men or old men for that matter should feel guilty about at all. Now, I'm conscious of the danger of ever labeling something as sin that God doesn't label as sin. That's the definition of legalism. And I, I'm also mindful of parents uh, who could load up their sons with false guilt, and I don't want to do that. Uh, it's safe to say that sooner or later, every son of ours is going to discover uh, that there's a way to bring himself relief from sexual tension and desire in this form of behavior. And dads, uh, we especially need to have a balanced, biblically informed word for them about the subject of masturbation. I have been uh, helped by others in their discussions of this. I can't remember to cite all my sources. Uh, I'll just speak of two reasons, dads, that we can and should warn our sons against the masturbation lifestyle. Two reasons that we should warn our sons against it. Number one, inasmuch as masturbation is typically accompanied uh, by lustful thoughts and desires, uh, folks, it's clearly sin, and it needs to be repented of accordingly. We uh, have seen the Bible does speak about lust quite explicitly. It's called sexual immorality of the heart, and Inasmuch as masturbation as a practice and lust are practically inseparable in most men's experience, uh, this gives us just cause to warn our sons against a masturbation lifestyle. I remember a conversation in a dorm room back in my college days with some Christian young men, and this subject came up. The Bible doesn't say anything about masturbation. So is it really wrong? And I don't remember which one, but one of those young men, Christian man, I just pointed out to the group, hey guys, lust is wrong. Can you imagine masturbation without lust? And the group, uh, as I recall it, uh, fell silent and they all were nodding and saying, yeah, we can't imagine uh, one without the other. So dads, uh, when the time comes for you to talk about this subject, uh, emphasize what the Bible does say, that it's lustful thoughts and desires 
and fantasies that typically come with masturbation that are the sin. That's when masturbation becomes a way to seek sexual satisfaction apart from marriage. And Jesus has spoken clearly of that in the passage that I've already uh, looked at. But here's the second reason to warn your sons against a masturbation lifestyle. Inasmuch as it is a self-serving approach to sex, uh, it's a habit that's harmful to a proper understanding and experience of sex in marriage. So think about it with me. I think someone uh, has called masturbation solo sex. Uh, It is a purely self-gratifying approach uh, to sexual fulfillment. But that's in direct contradiction to how God invented sex to be an expression of love and self-giving between two people in covenant with each other. It's the means by which two people are united in love, and it's the means in that union by which each person seeks to delight the other. That's how God has invented sex. But if your son feels free to settle into a masturbation lifestyle, he's training himself to think of sex as all about him, as a means of merely meeting his own needs or his own desires. And folks, that's a lot to unlearn when he's entering into marriage as God intended it to be. Uh, That masturbation lifestyle is not just going to be a barrier to him, but potentially to his bride uh, in enjoying uh, sexual union as God intended it. So dads, point out to your sons the problem of seeking sexual fulfillment all alone. Uh, That is actually a distortion, a perversion, in fact, of what God has made sex for. And uh, I'll just add a masturbation lifestyle, particularly when it's combined with the next topic, which is pornography. It has a profound potential uh, to harm a young man's whole orientation uh, towards his own sexuality. So with some reluctance, I turn to the subject of pornography. I'll call it the pornography plague. And uh, I'll speak to a subject now that I have more exposure to as a pastor uh, than as a parent, and I have certainly, as a pastor, had plenty of exposure to it as a struggle among men, even, yes, men of the covenant. Perhaps you've heard uh, statistics regarding porn use among men and now increasingly among women, and even some rather unsettling statistics about pornography use within the church. And my pastoral experience confirms the truth of those statistics. How would our sons navigate through their teens and 20s in our culture without becoming a slave of pornography, without becoming what increasingly is called an addiction problem? Uh, to pornography? Well, only by the means of grace, only by the grace of God. But folks, I'm uh, making a plea, especially to dads, to be proactive in parenting in this subject of pornography. Listen to Proverbs 7. I made a reference to it just a little while ago. Listen to Proverbs 7, where uh, the wise father is warning his son against uh, what's typically called the adulterous woman. Uh, And ask yourself, Uh, Does this not apply most directly today uh, to the threat of pornography? And can you as a father afford not to talk to your sons about this modern version of the adulterous woman? He says, now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That seems to be just as well suited to warning a son against porn sites as an actual um, seductive, uh, adulterous woman. So what do our sons need to hear from us about pornography? Number one, dads, your son needs to know about the inherent wickedness 
of pornography. $12 billion annual industry, all devoted, son, to breaking the seventh commandment. It's a perversion of sex itself, which is supposed to be an expression of love between two people in covenant with each other. And not only that, not least of all, it is a wretched abuse, son, an exploitation of women. Um, Elaborate on this with your son. Cause him to see the sheer evil of pornography as a whole industry. Uh, It is a modern phenomenon, relatively speaking. It's not directly addressed in Scripture, but all the principles of Scripture point to it being an abomination to God. It is, to the seventh commandment, what abortion is to the sixth commandment. So your first job, dads, is to make your sons aware of what this is and to impart to them a loathing in principle for it. And they need to have uh, that kind of antipathy towards this whole world of pornography because our culture has come to embrace it. It's not even a shameful uh, secret anymore in our culture. One of my sons from college uh, tells me of the guys on his campus who are unabashed in their porn use, and instead of it being something that uh, they talk about in secret, they openly talk about uh, their favorite porn star. So with this normalizing of porn, along with all many manner of other uh, sexual perversions, the first thing you need to do is to instill in your son an, an other antipathy to all that it represents. It is something wicked. And it needs to be so in their sight. Number two, your son needs to know how desperately addictive pornography can be. You need to talk about pornography with your son the way you talk about cocaine. I'm not equating the uh, nature of the addiction, but as you are probably aware, uh, many voices now are uh, converging to uh, speak to our society as a whole about the uh, physiological and Uh, mentally addictive properties of pornography. It can lead uh, to kind of social and even sexual dysfunction as a result of uh, its effect on the brain, effect on uh, the whole person. Uh, Your son needs to know that just like with the world of drugs, pornography typically has some kind of gateway, some kind of initial point of exposure. But by its very nature, it leads uh, users deeper and deeper into more and more sexually graphic and sexually perverse content. And the things that we see in our society around us of greater and greater sexual perversion, astonishing levels of sexual perversion openly uh, Uh, um, uh, carried out and uh, spoken of uh, has everything to do with the downward spiral of sexual perversion that porn leads to. Um, You won't be able to stay at the same level of sexual stimulation uh, or sexually stimulating material in pornography. Increasingly, because of the nature of addiction, you will need uh, more and more intense exposure in order to find the satisfaction that pornography offers. So your son needs to know how wicked it is. son needs to know how addictive it is. And your son needs to know, dads, how personally hurtful pornography can be uh, to the one they eventually marry. Now, they're not married yet, presumably, as we talk about this subject. Uh, How would his filling his mind with grimy images of internet pornography porn ever hurt someone else? Uh, You could say, well, it makes it pretty bad for him, but how does it hurt his future wife? Well, I've already suggested he's training his expectations of what sex is uh, in ways that marriage is is not able or never was designed uh, to fulfill. Uh, He's uh, had the professionals in perversity uh, set a kind of standard for him for what sex is, and uh, he's going to set up himself, his wife, uh, for failure uh, by that wicked and unreal standard. Um, Dads, you should want for your sons to save themselves for their future wives, not just in outward 
technical ways, but also in their mind, in their heart. They should want to be a one-woman man, starting when, from the time they have no woman, uh, so that they're not bringing into their marriage a thousand previous virtual women uh, right there into the marriage bed. You are in a position, dads, parenting your teenager towards a happy marriage and all that God intends in their sexual fulfillment in marriage. Now, as I say that, I am aware, folks, I am aware the uh, so-called purity movement in Christian circles has come under some critique, perhaps just in this very area. Some believe that the benefits of abstinence and sexual purity before marriage have been oversold by some uh, in the church, as if uh, denying ourselves sex before marriage somehow guarantees a problem-free sex in marriage, fabulous sex in marriage, as if there wouldn't be sin uh, in marriage that could also count against sexual fulfillment in any marriage. And I am, I am not um, signing on to those uh, absurd ideas that uh, you can somehow guarantee yourself great sex in marriage by uh, pursuing purity. We pursue purity first and foremost because God has called us to it. But parents, dads, it is beyond debate. Using pornography is a potentially devastating uh, practice in marriage, and it's potentially devastating even in advance of marriage. Your son needs to know the more they fall into that sin, the less qualified they are to marry, because any Christian dad worth his salt will stand in the way of a porn head dating his daughter it's just too damaging a habit to bring into a real relationship with a real woman. So parents, in this whole endeavor of cultivating purity in your sons, aim at giving away one day a pure bridegroom in the wedding day. I realize that sounds a little funny. Girls are the ones giving away. They're the ones all dressed up in the color of purity on wedding day. But Guys, sinful cultures have had a double standard in this area for way too long. You should disciple not just your daughters towards purity towards the day in which they're given away, but your sons towards purity for the day that they, too, will be given in marriage in a very real sense. You need to uh, be strapping in in this fight for purity with your son's dad, wanting for your son, wanting for your son, the ability to say to his wife one day, you are the only one for me. I'll just say this as dogmatically as I can. The temptation of lust, yes, is every man's problem, young and old. But the womanizing that pornography provides doesn't have to be every man's problem. It is not inevitable, dads, that your sons will get into porn. But... By the grace of God, you'll have to help them to avoid it. Now, at this point, I'm imagining someone say, uh, Nathan, my son already have. My sons already have. They've gotten involved in this pattern of sin. So what do I do? Well, I'm grieved with you, but I am not grieved uh, without hope. I, I want to say to you, thankfully, uh, there is a whole world nowadays in the Christian community of resources available uh, for Christians who are fighting pornography or aiding their children in the fight against it. And some of those resources, you will have to do your own uh, discovery of them, uh, will probably need to be part of your parenting in this area. This, dads, may become your new top priority as a family man. Uh, I most recently was exposed to a resource that I found uh, very good. Uh, it's the book recently published, More Than a Battle, uh, by a man named Joe Rigney. And I thought as I read that with some of the men in our church uh, that that would be a book uh, that could make for an excellent father-son study. 
uh, with the intention of that book um, being a catalyst for uh, fathers and sons to come together to fight this particular sin, to break uh, the pattern of this particular sin. Dad's just going to call for a lot of love, a lot of patience on your part, uh, readiness on your part to minister the forgiveness of Christ. Uh, because sins in the area of pornography bring so much shame and even self-loathing, and you are going to need to live out uh, the gospel hope of forgiveness and cleansing uh, in your shepherding of your sons. You're going to need to come with gospel comforts. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess and seek that forgiveness, and you're going to need to come with gospel accountability, if I can call it that. Um, you're going to need to reference what Jesus says in another place in that Sermon on the Mount, that even if your right hand, something as good and legitimate as a right hand, causes you to sin, you need to be willing to take radical steps uh, to remove it from you so that you are uh, freed from that particular source of temptation. And Dad, I'll just have to add, uh, in talking about children, sons, uh, who are struggling with pornography. Uh, dads, if this is your secret sin, well, do I need to tell you? Uh, you will not have the moral authority to engage with your son about it. Uh, you'll avoid the subject. You'll prefer not to know what he's involved with. It's only by ensuring uh, that you have first dealt with what imperils your soul you're going to be able to be a a fit guide for your son. So I have been uh, calling upon you dads to be your son's accountability partner, to oversee and hold him accountable in this whole area uh, of sexual temptation and sin. And if you need that accountability, well, dads, you get yourself in front of a pastor, you get yourself in front of your shepherding elder, and you say, hey, I, I need prayer and I need accountability in this area, not least of all, because I need to do the work of shepherding a son uh, who has the same problem. Well, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, says something about this whole subject I've taken up in this podcast that uh, really has informed me over the years in talking about purity I'm particularly talking about purity in men. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Parents, if you have sons, particularly if you have sons entering into their second decade, or entering even into their third decade, you need to disciple them in this area of sexual purity because it's a filthy world we're living in. And I realize discipling is daunting in just this area, but just consider how much more daunting it must be for sons who are called to purity and left on their own uh, to run the gauntlet of sexual temptation that they're ending into. So especially dads, step up, step up. Your sons need your help. Guide them in learning to control their minds and their bodies, as Paul says, in holiness and honor, and by the power of God who gives his Holy Spirit to us. I wrap up now, mindful that there's so much more that could be said, but I'll be content with saying that much on this very important topic. Next time, I'm going to talk about discipling our daughters in this whole broad area of their sexuality. And I have a particular focus as I return to talking about that uh, next time. But until then, brothers and sisters, thank you for listening to another episode of Resurrection Life.
You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.